Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you're having a good day wherever you are. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the show, 877-973-7425. Remember, Thanksgiving is coming. If you need that, uh, those breakfast recipes, if you text uh, the word data to 33777, go into my uh, daily newsletter. You can see them. They're one story down. Um, you get the French toast casserole and the sausage egg casserole. They cook at the same temperature at the same time. Make them the night before. Feed your family. Easy recipes to do. Text DATA to 33777. Uh, I want to, Tim, I don't know if you're still listening. I, I don't think I did justice to uh, your question. And I'm going to shake up my show a little bit. I want to spend some time on Tim's question. Tim called in on the last hour. And he wanted to know how I consume and process the news so as to teach other people to think for themselves and not just tell them what to think. Essentially, uh, how do you teach someone to fish the news instead of fishing for them? It's actually a very well-phrased question, uh, and it is something I struggle with. And I have thought a lot about it, and I decided years ago, several years ago, to take a different approach from most people in talk radio about it because I don't know that you are being well served. And that's a judgment call on my part, and I mean no disrespect to anyone in talk radio, but I just think there is too much talking points predictability in the media particularly on the conservative side. You know what the Republican position is or the Trump position is or whatever. Everybody gets the talking points and away we all go. And you can listen to five or six different shows. You can hear the same stories talked about and you can uh, hear them in the exact same way with the exact same talking points. And I just don't like that. As a consumer of the news and of talk radio, I don't like it. Now, I truthfully don't listen to talk radio anymore. The only one I really used to listen to was Rush Limbaugh, occasionally Mark Levin, because I just, I love the guy. Mark is wonderful. But I don't typically listen to talk radio because I do talk radio. It's what I do. And I happen to think I'm one of the best and I have the ratings to show it. And I don't see why I need to listen to other people in talk radio. And I will tell you that my approach to the radio these days is I want to convey to you what I think are the important stories. More and more these days, you'll find they're not always political stories. I'm burnt out on politics. If I am, I assume you are. But when I approach stories, there are a few things that I try to do. I try to figure out what the left and the right are saying if they're political. Oftentimes what I have found is the truth is far more murky than what either side would have you believe. And I think if you're listening to MSNBC for your news, or frankly, if you're listening to Fox News for your news, there is a spin they are giving to the news. Now, Fox does something way more unique than other news outlets. It's something I appreciate. They find and cover stories that a lot of the other press outlets will not because they know their viewers are interested in other things. Their viewers, for example, aren't really interested in the Emmys and the Academy Awards, and they don't really cover that stuff. Their viewers have different thoughts. Their viewers are different from the coastal elite viewers who watch MSNBC. And by the way, there are far fewer viewers of MSNBC than there are of Fox News. The data is actually staggering. On a week night, week in night on 
Fox, you can have hundreds of thousands, if not a million viewers on MSNBC. You are lucky to get 50, 60,000 viewers. The whole programming is shaken up. So what I do is I try to read as much as I can on the topics I want to talk about. And for the purposes of this program, I try to find topics that I know other people are going to talk about. There's always the big story. There is always the big story that you got to talk about. And I do an outline. I don't have a script writer. And believe it or not, I don't have anybody who does research for me. I do it all myself. It is the Eric Erickson show. I feel like I am solely responsible for the content. Philip and Charlie, we've got a we've got a, a Slack group, and they'll find stories they want me to make sure I know about, and they'll throw them in. So if I hit a dead end, I've been so focused on these handful of stories. They then have put all these stories in life that I can go to and say, oh, here's a here's a story for a short segment. I'll fill in the short segment with this story. That's how I do it. I don't have a script writer. I know there are some people in talk radio, believe it or not, who read scripts that other people write for them or they write for themselves. I don't understand how you do that, but they do. I freeform it. That's why talk radio, a lot of people think it's so easy. I got to tell you, you sit behind a microphone for three hours unscripted with just a handful of, I want to talk about this story, this story, this story, and this story. Go for it. Good luck. I love it. it I, I never expected to be doing this for a living, and, and here I am doing it. But when it comes to the stories, there are a couple of things to really hone in on Tim's point. I have an obligation to you to not BS you. I have an obligation to you to tell you the objective, not in dispute facts of every story. I have an obligation to tell you the disputed facts of every story and to tell you who's disputing them and why. And once I've provided you that, I will give you my analysis of the story. Now, how do I come up with my analysis? Well, I'm in seminary. I went to law school. I was a political operative. I was an elected official. I've done this for a while. I've lived life. Come at it from that that framing. I talk to other people. Like, for example, during COVID, I was talking regularly to epidemiologists, virologists, general practitioners, uh, experts in the field to try to make an informed opinion myself to be able to help you figure out what the hell was going on. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, after I've given you the facts, given you the disputed facts, and given you my analysis, I'll tell you what I think about it. I don't like to give you my opinion until I've actually given you enough information to make your own opinion I realize I'm biased. You all know my biases and my worldview. And I see the world through that lens. Christian, conservative, dad, husband, in the South, living in the suburbs. And then how do you yourself want to understand it? And you can disagree with me, and I have a phone number, and you can call, and we can talk it through and agree to disagree at times. That's how I do prep for this show. My job is not to make you think about a topic in a certain way. It is not for me to tell you what to think. It is for me to tell you what actually is going on in the world so that you can make informed decisions for yourself. And I will tell you what I think after I've done that. Now, what's the difference between me telling you what's going on in the world and what's not? Well, there are often stories on this program you'll hear that you're not going to hear anywhere else in talk radio because I think that too much talk radio focuses on raw politics on a daily basis. There's plenty of other stuff going on. And I got to talk about the raw politics. I do. I'm about to get to it. But at the same time, I think there's also a lot of other stuff going on in sports and life and culture that needs to be talked about that otherwise doesn't get talked about. And I would rather provide you a well-rounded 
slate of opinions and news and commentary and analysis on a variety of things than bore you to death with politics. Now, why do I say that? Right now, in the United States, people are burnt out on politics. My view on stories, it's always kind of funny. Charlie and I have this discussion. Uh, When I get tired of a topic, my sense is everyone else is tired of it too. Because I tend to take interest in stuff and I can go at these topics for a while, but eventually I burn out on talking about them. And oftentimes I think I have continued to talk about them when you guys are ready to move on. And there are occasionally topics that I get to, I'm like, I'm, I'm done with this and you guys want more. Finding that balance is hard. I Look, I I guess now I've been doing this for a decade. I'm a professional now uh, in the sense of the word, but I fell into this by accident. And at this point, I've got a wife and two kids. And so I talk for three hours a day and that's about it. And I can talk. Now, I want to talk about the other topics out there. In particular, we need to talk about the inflation problem. Jeff Greenfield is a political analyst and has been for a very long time. And Jeff Greenfield has a story. It is an opinion piece, not a news piece, at Politico. And I want to read for you just the the very beginning of this. President Joe Biden was clear. Inflation, now at the highest point in 30 years, was at the top of his concerns. Many people remain unsettled about the economy, and we know why, Biden said recently at the Port of Baltimore. They see higher prices, they go to the store online, and they can't find what they always want and when they want it, and we're tracking these issues and trying to figure out how to tackle them head on. Reversing this trend is a priority to me. Left unspoken was a chilling reminder from history. Inflation has a unique power to kneecap a presidency. Incumbent presidents and their parties do not do well at all when inflation and attempts to cure it are on the voters' minds come election time. The gas pump, the supermarket checkout counter, the heating bill, the sticker on the windshield provide or seem to provide powerful indictments against the party in charge. And if that's not enough to unsettle the White House and its allies, consider this. Presidents have almost no power to ease the pain of inflation, and the voting public cuts presidents no slack at all because of this impotence. Look into the toolbox of our country's chief executive, and you will find it empty of effective tools, filling instead with devices now obsolete or laughable or meaningless or politically destructive. I want you to know something in all candor and honesty here. Jeff Greenfield is not wrong. It is rather true and honest that presidents do not have a plethora of tools with which to fight inflation. Presidents have to work collaboratively with the chairman of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has the tools to fight inflation, typically raising interest rates, slows down an overheating economy. The Congress has the power to cause inflation by pumping too much money into the economy. The Federal Reserve can do that as well, and they have. The president's power comes from restraining himself. The president's power to stop inflation is very, very limited. It comes mostly through the appointment powers to the Federal Reserve. But the chief power of the president to restrain inflation is the power of no. The president sees a problem, 
and decides he must do something about that problem. The power of the president to stop inflation is to see the problem and say, nope, not going to deal with that problem. Joe Biden's problem is that he is seeing every problem out there and saying, yep, going to deal with that one. Yep, going to deal with that one. Yep, going to deal with that one. And the reality is by doing so, the only way Joe Biden knows how to fix these problems is to dump money into the economy. You dump money into the economy, you cause inflation. So the ironic twist of the presidency is that the president has very little power to stop inflation once it started. Really, the Federal Reserve is is the place where you're going to do that. But the president has a great deal of power to cause inflation by signing a bunch of spending bills that overheat the economy, which is exactly what Joe Biden did. So he has caused the problem, and in fairness to the Democrats, Donald Trump dumped a lot of money into the economy too uh, to get it going again after the COVID shutdown. But Biden just kept pumping the money long after he was warned by Larry Summers, a Democrat, and others that he needed to not go down this road. I mean, remember Larry Summers, the very beginning of the administration was warning Democrats, if you go down this road, you could cause inflation. And all the Democrats were like, nah, man, nah, you're overreacting. Well, guess what? Larry Summers was right. And the Democrats don't want to admit he was right, but he was. The damage is done. Presidents really can't fight inflation once it starts. But they can be the cause of inflation through their heavy spending. And that's what Joe Biden did. And now he's going to suffer the consequences because the voters don't really care. Jeff Greenfield in his analysis that Politico, his opinion piece, he's right. The voters are going to blame someone. And the person they blame is the president and the party that started all the spending that caused the inflation. There's going to be hell to pay at the ballot box. Do you know when you factor in the shift in Hispanic voting in this country towards the GOP, you could be looking at 70 seats for the GOP. I don't think that's going to happen, but it could. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. It would be an anomaly, but it's an anomaly made because we haven't seen inflation in this country since Jimmy Carter was president. And now we're seeing the second coming of Jimmy Carter and Joe Biden is going to be the person who gets blamed and he should. Democrats can say it's unfair, but they started it. The way we use the internet, well, it's changed over the last decade. Security tools have mostly stayed the same. Aura provides complete digital security to help protect your online accounts, finances, devices, and so much more in an easy-to-use app. Most credit card companies do a good job of protecting you against fraudulent purchases, but what if a scammer files for unemployment in your name or if your social media account's hacked? Aura's protection goes beyond your credit card. Between your photos, your finances, your devices, your connections, your world's more online than ever. You may have security systems in place for real life, but what about your online life? Aura can sound the alarm if your digital presence is at risk. They provide digital security protection. They keep your online finances, your personal information, and your technology safe from online threats. It's all-in-one protection for identity theft, financial fraud, malware, scam sites, so much more. With Aura, you'll get notified for to fraud and threats fast. If your online accounts, your passwords are leaked online, someone, you're, you're going to be told by Aura. Like a lot of people, they won't tell you. Aura is easy to set up. All plans come with a million dollars in identity theft insurance to help recover stolen funds and experience U.S.-based customer support that's got your back. For a limited time, Aura is offering you guys 40% off plans when you visit Aura.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You go to Aura.com slash Eric, again, E-R-I-C-K. You get complete protection. You get savings of up to 40%. 
That's aura.com slash Eric, A-U-R-A dot com slash E-R-I-C-K. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide in the United States. If you're in charge of finances for a business and you need access to large loans, six, six figures and up, First Liberty can help you. Uh, they're in Noonan, Georgia. I know the family well. They've been doing this since the 90s, helping businesses become bigger businesses. If you need to build a building, buy a fleet of vehicles, buy a building, reach out to First Liberty. Their website, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. Y'all, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has insisted the Biden administration not enforce the vaccine mandate. Uh, and there, I have read their decision. Now, you need to know that the Fifth Circuit has become for conservatives what the Ninth Circuit is for progressives. Now, that's not a bad thing for conservatives because they also uh, have a sufficient block on the Supreme Court generally. And the Fifth Circuit, the President uh, Trump packed it with a lot of right-wingers, some of whom I know very well, some of whom are friends of mine. They're very good jurists, and they're not as crazy as the progressives on the Ninth Circuit. They're far more restrained, but they were completely unrestrained in stopping the vaccine mandate. And what they noted was given the delay after delay after delay and still not enforcing it until after January and only enforcing it on businesses with 100 employees or more, that doesn't really sound like an emergency, does it? I mean, this is something I think the Biden administration missed. When you are president of the United States and you say there is an emergency and because of this emergency, you must impose something like a vaccine mandate, well, by God, you got to treat it like an emergency to say, we're going to get to it. This is coming and then delay putting in writing and then delay enforcement and then only make it apply to some employers, a hundred or more, as opposed to the small employers in this country for which there are massive numbers. That doesn't really sound like an emergency. And the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has stayed to the vaccine mandate for the very reason. I mean, the rule of thumb has to be, if you think it's an emergency, act like it's an emergency. They did not act like it's an emergency. In fact, Ron Klain, the chief of staff to the president of the United States, he retweeted someone who essentially said, this isn't really an emergency, this is how we're going to expand it and get employers to start getting people to get it done. I'm paraphrasing the tweet, but that was in essence what it was. And the Fifth Circuit found it notable that the president of the United States' chief of staff would retweet someone who says it's really not an emergency. They're just having to do this to try to get employers to get a move on getting people vaccinated. Again, if it's an emergency, act like it's an emergency, and you may support the vaccine mandate. But you need to acknowledge the Biden administration hasn't really treated it like an emergency situation. And considering how much they're blaming on COVID, the supply chain is on COVID, inflation is on COVID, the economy's on COVID, everything's on COVID, you would think that they would treat it like an emergency. I I'm, have never seen a presidential administration do politics as badly as this administration. And that includes the Trump administration, which I had plenty of criticisms of and how they did politics, but they were far more competent at the political game of the White House than this administration seems to be. And it shows in Virginia and a lot of special elections around the country. I'm just baffled by the politics of this administration. I, re I really am. I, I try to understand it as a student of politics, as someone who ran political campaigns. 
as someone who got elected to office, I am, and, and I, by the way, I'm not alone here. By, behind the scenes, a lot of Democrats are perplexed. They do not understand what the Biden administration is doing, that the people in the Biden administration seem completely out to lunch on the politics of the presidency. I guess they just assume people would say, well, he's not Trump. We'll give him some some leeway. They're not because the economy sucks. Inflation sucks. Shortages suck. Schooling sucks. People are pissed. And the Biden administration does not seem to understand that. And it's going to be held to pay for the Democrats at the polls as a result of this. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I want to go to Hakeem, who's been waiting patiently. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you? Doing great, doing great. African American, and I, I was telling. I know we're going back to this cow case about the self defense case, but nobody's talking about now. They're using the African American emotion of fear to screen racism because here are one white guy that shot two, three white guys mm-hmm. that are in a neighborhood burning down African American property. Is right. that not racism? Is that not racist? Yes. How can Black Lives Matter stand up and scream when there's people burning down our property and using our fear and our emotion? It's, it's deeply bothersome to me that that would happen. It's deeply bothersome to me that the administration and the left would in some way, shape, or form decide that uh, they've got to scream racism on this particular issue. Uh, what, what really troubles me, Hakeem, is that uh, people want to be ignorant of the facts. And, and as you said and pointed out, uh, these people, the Black Lives Matters crowd and Antifa, they were marching through a black neighborhood in Kenosha, Wisconsin, burning down black businesses and the response from Antifa and from a lot of the Black Lives Matters crowd was that, well, they've got insurance. It's not really violence. That's what they said. And it's just been bizarre. The statements have been bizarre. The statements from the prosecutor have been bizarre. I mean, just, just listen to this from the prosecutor. Convince you that Joseph Rosenbaum was going to take that gun and use it on the defendant because they know you can't claim self-defense against an unarmed man like this. You lose the right to self-defense when you're the one who brought the gun, when you're the one creating the danger, when you're the one provoking other people. It's not a statement of law, nor is it a statement of fact. Now, I will tell you guys again, I was a lawyer and I hated criminal law. Oh my gosh, did I hate, you know, so I liked criminal procedure. I just did not like criminal. So criminal law, your first year in law school, criminal law is very theoretical. And a lot of it in even American law is based on English common law. My gosh, did I hate it. Uh, The professor was fine. I just, I hated criminal law. I didn't want to be a criminal lawyer. 
Uh, you know, at first I wanted to be a prosecutor and then I got a, got a job as a law clerk in a private law firm. And I was like, I think I'd rather do this. Didn't like criminal law, but even though I didn't like it, it's my worst grade in law school. I got to see, I do know criminal law because I had to practice criminal law. Unfortunately, uh, I was required to practice it. I will tell you, you do not give up your right to self-defense. You bring a gun and people start attacking you. You do have the right to defend yourself. You may not like it. You, you may think there shouldn't be a case, but generally you do. For the prosecutor to say, if you have a gun, you don't have the right to self-defense is nonsense. The prosecutor also argued that Kyle Rittenhouse should have gotten in a fist fight. Now, you do need to know that the other people, they had not just guns, but they had a skateboard. They were bashing Kyle Rittenhouse's head in with a skateboard before he shot the guy. You should also know Kyle Rittenhouse had uh, better gun skills than the prosecutor. Uh, there are multiple videos of Kyle Rittenhouse when he's out on the street that night showing his hand off the trigger, his finger off the trigger, and the gun pointed down. The prosecutor wanted to show the jury the gun and wound up pointing the AR-15 at the crowd in the, in the courtroom with his finger on the trigger. The judge had to admonish him. I just find the whole thing to be insane. I mean, really, I, I, I genuinely find the whole thing to be crazy uh, that we are at this point. And, you know, of course, Joe Biden called Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist. It, it turns out to be nothing uh, far, 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 far from the truth. People on the left want to believe it. And Peter Ducey got into it with Jen Psaki of the White House over this. Just something tied to an ongoing court case. Why did President Biden suggest that Kyle Rittenhouse on trial in Kenosha is a white supremacist? So, Peter, what I, I'm not going to speak to right now is anything about an ongoing trial, uh, nor the president's past comments. Uh, what I can reiterate for you is the president's uh, view uh, that we shouldn't have, broadly speaking, uh, vigilantes patrolling our communities with assault weapons. We shouldn't have opportunists corrupting peaceful protests by rioting and burning down the communities they claim to represent anywhere in the country. As you know, closing arguments in this particular case, which I'm not speaking to, I'm just making broad comments about his own view. Um, there's an ongoing trial. We're awaiting a verdict. Beyond that, I'm not going to speak to any individuals or this case. But the president has spoken to it already. And his mom now, Kyle Rittenhouse's mom, came out saying that the president defamed her son. And that claims, uh, she claims that when the president suggested her son is a white supremacist, he was doing that to win votes. Is that what happened? I just have nothing more to speak to in ongoing case uh, where the closing <laughs> arguments were just made. Okay, so let me tell you what's going on here. They don't care. Uh, what they care about is Kyle Rittenhouse's mother used the word defame. Uh, yeah, that that's red flag, red flag, red flag. Could get sued, could get sued. They, they got to hit pause on discussing this because they're worried. Listen, uh, as so how many of you knew Kyle Rittenhouse did not bring that gun across state lines? I did not know that. I learned that in the trial based on the media commentary, and I went back and looked. Uh, you would have never known that prior to the trial. How many of you knew Kyle Rittenhouse's father, grandmother, aunts and uncles live in Kenosha, Wisconsin? I did not know that either. Learned that in the trial. There are a lot of facts that came out in the media that are new. There are a lot of facts 
that were relatively unknown. And now they're out there and it puts the whole thing in a new light. And then there are all the videos that were out there and you had the guy and you know, this, this was not helpful to have that guy on the stand say that Kyle Rittenhouse did not shoot him until he had pointed his gun at Rittenhouse under oath in trial. And then to go on good morning America the next morning and say, well, no, I, I, he, he pointed at me first. Uh, that's not what you said under oath at trial, buddy. And by the way, we do have the videotape. And the videotape corroborates what you said on in the trial that uh, you pointed first. You said it under oath. What you said on Good Morning America didn't. And in Good Morning America, kudos to them. They had to go after him on that one. And made him look really opportunistic and bad. Listen, the jury's going to get this, and the jury has seen every bit of this trial uh, other than the stuff they're not supposed to see. We've got to see stuff the jury wasn't allowed to see for fairness and in, in the law. And I would be surprised if they found him guilty, but juries are juries. They could do it. Uh, this could go either way with the jury. I'm, I'm not going to bet on what the jury comes up with, but I don't think, given what I've seen, uh, that I would be voting for his guilt. I think he defended himself, and he had the right to do it, contrary to what the prosecutor said. And uh, to Hakeem's point, uh, he was protecting a lot of people in black neighborhoods uh, whose businesses were being born and the pro- burned, and the prosecutor said yesterday in his closing statement that, ah, these people, they, they were the heroes here. They, they were the heroes. The, these Antifa people, they were stopping the shooter. No, they were the ones burning down businesses. Now, to the phones we go, 877-973-7425. Bob, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Hey, Eric. It's Bob. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Fine. Eric, um, I'm not an economist, but I do have an advanced degree in economics, and I was interested in your Greenfield comments, and I wanted to give you about four or five data points from about a 30,000-foot level about how to figure all this stuff out. Sure. Okay, on inflation. First of all, inflation deals with the money supply versus the amount of goods and services in the economy. Mm -hmm. For the last 100 years, the United States, between all the events of wars and booms and depressions, has grown at about 2 to 3% in real terms. And for stable prices, the money supply should grow about that same rate. Mm -hmm. Well, last year, it grew at 24%. The money supply. Now, the money supply. Now, also, economists conflate two things, inflation of the currency versus supply shocks. For example, uh, Greenfield was talking about the president can't do much, but he can. His policy of not having fracking and drilling has reduced the oil supply we had last year from 13 million barrels to 11 million. That is a supply shock, and it's really more of a cost of living than an inflation issue. Mm Mm-hmm. And that the problem you've got is there's, there's, there's no substitute for oil. You know, if we have a disease among chickens that kills off chickens, people can buy beef or pork or other things for a source of that. But for energy, we don't have any ready replacement for fossil fuels at this point. Oh, now, you know that's not true, Bob. We have unicorn farts. The Biden administration wants to fill the entire economy <laughs> well, and also off of I, those. I, 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 as someone who's studied economics for a number of years, I do always have one question in my mind I'd like to pose for the audience. The Fed has a policy of a 2% inflation goal per year. 
And mm-hmm. my question I have, why would the Fed do that? And the only thing I can come up with is that if we have a 2% inflation per year, the value of our currency is cut in half in 36 years. The United States being a debtor nation, that means our debt in real terms is half. If they achieve 3% inflation, it only takes 24 years. That's a, an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, boy, I'm glad you called in, Bob. This, this is, I, I did not realize, I, I mean, I knew we dumped a lot of money in the economy relative to everything else that I did not realize it was that percentage. Give me the percent. Again, she it was 24%. Yes, it was almost 24, 25% last year. Now see the way they did this is they bought bonds from banks, right? The government bonds and also bought, um, corporate bonds. And that puts money in the hand, so that increases the money. They took, they, they just printed the money and handed it for a bond, so that increases the money supply. Good gracious! Wow. Well, well and one and, last and, data, one last, and, and Eric, ahead. one last data point. Historically, for the federal budget to be within bounds and government spending be within what should be the economy, uh, it's been about the government spending should be about eighteen percent of gross domestic product. Mm-hmm. It's approaching twenty five percent. That's yeah. putting. This pressure on prices because, again, you increase demand uh, in the face of a relatively fixed supply. Uh, that that increases prices. So, again, I just wanted to share those couple of thoughts with you. Look, Bob. Look, I appreciate it. That was highly informative, and and I I can't dispute anything you said. One, you know more than me, and and two, that that tracks with what other people have told me. And it's just astonishing. And again, a lot of this, too, we, we do need to go back to Federal Reserve policies. That's why there's a big push among Senate Democrats to get rid of Jerome Powell. The problem with getting rid of Jerome Powell there is they want to replace him with someone further to the left who will probably make the problems even worse. And even Joe Manchin, Christian Cinema, and Tester from Montana, who's really way more progressive than the media portrays him, they're kind of tapping the brakes on the Democrats wanting to get someone far left in there because they're afraid that person could wreck the economy further. It's just uh, the dynamics there are really fascinating. And also, I have really smart listeners. All right, Patriot Mobile, I got to tell you about them because you want to use them for your cell phone carrier. A lot of you have questions. Uh, I encourage you to go to their website. It's patriotmobile.com. Now, what do you need to know about them? First of all, they use the same cell towers the other companies use. So if you've got cell service, you're going to have cell service with them. Uh, also they have hundred percent us based customer service. You never have to worry about calling Mumbai. You're going to call somebody in the great USA. Also, they give a portion of their profits to conservative causes because they were formed to be a Christian conservative company that supports conservative causes. They, it was implicit in their design. So they give a portion of their proceeds to pro-life causes, second amendment causes, veteran causes, conservative causes. They are Christians and conservatives. They are not a woke company and they're good. You can use them by going to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You will get free activation. Patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Or you can call them, again, 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT. And keep in mind, if you've got multiple household lines, cell phones, you can get a discount. Uh, I had a listener tell me they got an NRA discount from them. I didn't realize that one. They didn't tell me about that one. Uh, They get uh, discounts for veterans and first responders as well. Uh, so check out Patriot Mobile. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today. Uh, start saving, but more importantly, start doing business with a company that shares your values. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, stand by. There's breaking news happening right now that I've got to get to, and this is Schadenfreude-alicious. Yes, it is. 
I want to read you a tweet. This is from Jin Saki, March 14th of 2017. Watching Mick Mulvaney try to walk away from the Congressional Budget Office score and explain the budget outline is awkward and uncomfortable to watch. This is from Chuck Schumer, June 26, 2017. The Congressional Budget Office CBO report should be the end of the road for Trump care. The Senate GOP should read it like a giant stop sign urging them to turn back from their health care plans. Well, as of 32 minutes ago, mid-level White House staffers are on a conference call with Democrats insisting the Congressional Budget Office does not have the experience to judge Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan. I kid you not. Uh, mid, this is from Jackie Heinrich. She is a reporter for whom? Let me check her blue check mark. Fox News. Amid reports, the White House privately warned CBO scores would show the Build Back Better plan is not fully paid for. Uh, the White House Deputy Press Secretary Andrew Bates says, quote, there's wide agreement the CBO doesn't have experience analyzing revenue amounts gained from cracking down on wealthy tax cheats who are taking advantage of honest taxpayers. That's right. They are now attacking the Congressional Budget Office of the White House because they know they, by the way, the CBO hasn't even scored it yet. The score is not yet out and the White House is already attacking the CBO over whatever score they're going to give it. Why? Because they know it's going to show that the Build Back Better plan is not paid for. Uh, in paid for terms, meaning they haven't raised enough taxes or cut enough other programs to pay for what they want to do with their massive government spending package. And here's a problem. If they can't get the math to work out, they can't get it through the Senate under reconciliation, and it could be filibustered by the Republicans. So they're going to have to try hard. Also, they're trying to put it before the House. And the moderates have said it was dependent on the CBO score. This gives the moderates a way to kill it. Now, the progressives did not vote for the infrastructure plan. I think at this point it would be entirely appropriate based on the CBO score and the fact that the White House is signaling it's going to have a bad score from the CBO by attacking the CBO. It would be entirely appropriate for the moderates to say, well, you progressives didn't like the infrastructure plan. Well, screw you. We're not going to vote for this now. Good luck trying to get it through with Republican help. <laughs> They're not going to be able to. I mean, Nancy Pelosi had to get the infrastructure plan through with congressional, with congressional Republican support, 13 Republicans. Good luck, progressives, having attacked and, and just, just character assassinated Republicans. Good luck trying to find 13 of them to help you get it through if the moderates walk away. And by the way, this still as structured won't be able to go through the Senate with the reconciliation situation. Um, so they're going to have to figure out a way to get it passed and convince Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema to support it. Good luck, progressives. This is a train wreck that we are watching real time. When we come back, I'll take time with your phone calls. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. 
First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 